two, two one. one. Doctor. Oh. There's a stripey blanket ahead of me. Oh. I panicked. <laughs> it's understandable. <laughs> I could I could only think of I'm just so excited. <laughs> yeah. I am like I was writing these notes the other day. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I was like, I'm going to go home and watch more Doctor Who. And I'm going to watch all the TikToks. I'm going to listen to all the sounds. And, you know, so. Chai Hi there. Then. Welcome to Cream and Sugar. So uh, instead of like an organic joke, I have actually a story for you. Oh, OK. I like stories. In middle school, I got very, very into this show called Doctor Who. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever heard of it. <laughs> but I went full rabbit hole. It was my lifestyle. And so um our now mutual friend who we've mentioned in past episodes, Sam, was not into Doctor Who at all, but knew that I was into it. And in high school we would give each other like Valentine's Day notes. So they made me this little paper heart and it's a little mm-hmm. card and it says uh to Allie from Sam, "Are you a weeping angel? Because I can't take my eyes off you." that's simultaneously adorable and terrifying (laughs) i thought you would like it so now i just i just have that forever so if you're listening thanks sam i love that you kept that that's so Mm -hmm. sweet i have a small stack our school did um candy grams and you could write on little like three by three inch squares of paper notes and everything and so mm-hmm. we would just get them for the entire friend group. So I have a whole stack of papers from uh, that whole group from high school that I just kept. Mm-hmm. So... Today, we are doing an episode that is a little different from what we usually do. We are not going to talk about a type of tea, but instead, we're going to talk about some tea blends that are based on characters from Doctor Who. I think we're going to have a terrific time. Yeah, I think so, too. Ah! (laughs) I think so, Blue. (laughs) Because it's the blue box set. From tea and absinthe. It's not TARDIS. It's TARD us. <laughs> you and me. Forever. <laughs> I uh I don't have a screwdriver pun. Um not an appropriate one anyway. Eh, screw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TARD us. <laughs> TARD us. <laughs> Time and relative dimension uh space. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so we'll get into more about what Doctor Who is. You don't have to come into this episode with any knowledge about Doctor Who. I promise we have plenty of knowledge for everyone to go around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's for you, Mom. We got you. <laughs> uh huh. My mom's watched Doctor Who. We pulled her through it. It was oh, nice. She loved it. Mm-hmm. I tried to explain to my mom Doctor Who, and I don't think it stuck. And I explained to her what we were doing this episode, because normally I'm like, ah, no spoilers, which is, haha, again, a spoiler. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, 
I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you a briefing on this because you're not going to get a lot of context, but I think Allie's going to explain a lot of it. Yep. Yep. I am trying to go into it uh, for somebody that knows nothing. So I'm obviously I'm not going to get into all of the show. I'm going to focus on what the show is and the character of the doctor. There's so much more to it. And I wanted to leave it open in case anybody's interested. But yay! before we get into all that, who (laughs) is your favorite doctor? Um, well, so before I logged into Zencaster, which is how we record this podcast, mm-hmm. um, I'm supposed to type in my name. Well, I <laughs> typed in Matt Smith <laughs> because he is my favorite doctor. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is he your favorite doctor? Well, um, he, he wasn't at first. Well, no, he he was immediately. So when I started watching Doctor Who, I didn't watch classic Who at all. So I started no. with nine with Eccleston. Mm-hmm. And then we went through David Tennant. And mm-hmm. I liked David Tennant. But, you know, I, I just liked him as a doctor. I didn't like I wasn't obsessed with him. There was no click. As soon as Matt Smith was on the TV that was it. He was my favorite doctor immediately. He just has this energy that's so much. It reminds me of me with the amount of energy he has and his enthusiasm. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. think that's why I like him so much. He just is very charismatic and whimsical and fish figures and custard. I mean, <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's fair. So Matt Smith is my favorite doctor. He does have a line where I forget what episode it is and I forget who he's talking to, but they say something about, you know, like the way he thinks is weird or the way he talks. And he's like, yeah, my brain is like a bunch of scientists on a roller coaster going, wee. And I feel like that pretty accurately describes you some days. Yeah. (laughs) That was definitely me today at work. Uh (laughs) I had a very chaotic day and uh, that, that sounds, that sums about. That about sums it up. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Wee! Wee! <laughs> it's Friday night, guys. We're we're doing good. We're doing good. We're trying. Yep. <laughs> what about you? Who's your favorite doctor? Um, I the more that time passes, Matt Smith continues to grow on me, but he I don't think will ever surpass David Tennant in my mind or the tenth doctor. Mm-hmm. Matt Smith is the eleventh doctor for those who haven't watched the show, if you see that number thrown around and david Tennant is the 10th doctor so he was immediately before matt smith um and i just like i love david Tennant. i love his mannerisms i like the balance of light and dark throughout his episodes i think mm-hmm. part of the reason why i like him more is because i like russell t davies style who was the showrunner at the time so he was in charge of everything i just like the way that he wrote the characters and the storylines more than stephen moffat who took over when matt smith came on but i love them both very much david Tennant will just always be my favorite though and i have met that man and i have shaken his hand and it's just ah uh. that's an honor mm-hmm. that's really cool i think matt smith is next on my list i got to meet carrie elwis and that was a dream i think i i died that day that's a quote from the princess Bride, <laughs> not doctor who anyways um which is carrie elwis anyways um mm-hmm. I I died that day, but if I meet Matt Smith, 
I'll have to regenerate. He has he has come to Dragon Con before. And mm-hmm. now that he's on House of the Dragon, I think there's a pretty good chance he could be coming back to Dragon Con, hopefully. Eee, I hope Which, so. You haven't watched House of the Dragon yet, right? Mm-mm. Okay. This is not really a spoiler. Obviously, Matt Smith's character on House of Dragons, because it's Game of Thrones and just the way Game of Thrones is, everything's a lot darker there and a lot more serious and violent. Uh-huh. Right. So you have Matt Smith, who is a very like lighthearted, family friendly doctor character. And Mm -hmm. you know that trend on TikTok where it's like your um, your old comfort character meeting your new comfort character. Uh huh. Have you seen that? So there was one where it was somebody that had that and it was their old comfort character was the Matt Smith doctor. And it said, how is she? And it goes to Matt Smith's character on House of the Dragon. And he just says so much worse. Oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> they're both matt smith and it was just it was just perfection i thought you were gonna say he was a little bit more exposed because of how game of thrones is. oh yeah that too i mean although he was also exposed on the crown i was about to say we've already seen matt smith's butt on the crown so that was a good day <laughs> it's a good butt <laughs> <laughs> you can make every day a good day when you start it with matt smith's butt I'm sorry, Matt Add Smith. Add that to the out-of-context <laughs> quotes. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, let's man. talk about the family-friendly show known as Doctor Who. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, for those who don't know, um, there is an entry in the Britannica for Doctor Who. It is... It deserves it. Um, I quote them. They say, It is a British science fiction television series produced by the British Broadcasting Corporation, or the BBC. Remembered for its primitive special effects and compelling storylines, Doctor Who became a landmark of pop culture. Doctor Who chronicles the adventures of an eccentric, time-traveling scientist from the remote planet of Gallifrey, home of the Time Lords. The Doctor, a Time Lord himself, travels through time and space in his unique craft called the TARDIS, which that's spelled T-A-R-D-I-S, and that stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. I have it on the front of my car on a license plate. Yes, she does. Can confirm. (laughs) Yep. Um, And I was backed into a parking spot at my office one day, and a customer came in, and as soon as she walked in the door, I just heard a British accent, and I got excited because British accent. And then she walks in, my office is kind of to the side of the door, and she goes, so who's the Whovian? And I was like, that's me, baby. (laughs) Just had a whole conversation (laughs) with this lady. It was a great day. Good day. I have a question. I have an answer. Was this real British accent or imitation British accent because they saw your Doctor Who license plate? This was an actual British lady. She was older and had moved to the States at some point in her life, but had spent most of her life in the UK. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's a good day. I felt seen. <laughs> I was recognized as a Whovian by an actual British person and not just some weird American who really likes a British show, you know? Right. That's, I feel like you were honored that day. <laughs> I, I don't think any other experience in my life other than shaking David Tennant's hand will live up to that day. That's fair. So it's, it's just done. I can just coast from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've done. Um, Congrats. <laughs> That's life. I... You're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Goodbye. And I'll see you all later. 
Um, oh, no. <laughs> I added a, a summary for anybody that doesn't like the Britannica description of the show. And it's essentially Doctor Who is like the adult British version of the magic school bus with a little more science fiction than actual science. Oh, my God. That's why I like it. (laughs) I love the magic school bus. Even better, at the beginning of the show, um, it was supposed to be an educational show that focused mainly on history. So it still fit the vibe of magic school bus very early on. And then it developed into sci-fi show later. That's really cool. I did not know that. Speaking of the beginning, it all started on November 23rd, 1963. It was supposed to start on November 22nd, 1963. Uh, The 22nd was a Friday. The 23rd was a Saturday. Unfortunately, on November 22nd, 1963, JFK was unexpectedly shot. So they went, you know what? (laughs) Maybe we won't release our pilot today. (laughs) Maybe we'll wait till... uh, We'll wait tomorrow (laughs) yeah so um (laughs) since then since that first episode in 1963 it has been tradition that doctor who comes out on saturdays so interesting i think whoever shot jfk just wanted doctor who to be a truly weekend show i think that's fair no other motivation yeah yep thank you jfk for your sacrifice have to sacrifice much thank you jackie kennedy for your sacrifice because oh that's a lot (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so anyway the original run of the show was on for 26 years and it had seven doctors uh, one through seven uh and now you may be asking what do you mean it had seven doctors on it if the doctor is one character so Here's where we start to get into more detail about the show. So if you really don't want any spoilers, pause our episode, go watch the entirety of the show, and then come back. <laughs> we'll be here. Always. Yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> um, so the doctor isn't human. Like we said, he's from Gallifrey. He's a time lord. And he doesn't technically die every time something fatal happens. Time lords have the ability to what's called regenerate. Um, to essentially to accommodate severe damage, his body can rearrange its molecules to create a new person. Literally a new person. Yep, just a whole new person. So in the show, this means that the doctor has changed personalities, outfits, sometimes gender, etc., all that kind of stuff, but is still technically the same person with the same memories. In real life, this means that the show can continue on with a new actor, new showrunner, new staff, new vibe. For years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It works really well. It's a good system. It is a good system. I don't know who came up with it, but they were smart. You don't have to explain how they're cousins or if they're related. They're just new. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <laughs> the doctor often has companions traveling with him. Mostly humans, but not always. There's a whole variety of characters. And they watch him change and they change as he changes and they just serve to kind of keep the show dynamic running and interesting so the original run of the show ended in 1989 and i haven't watched any of that but eventually i might and that whole era is called classic who if your dad was into doctor who he probably watched tom baker that's the fourth doctor part of classic who it's got star trek vibes like next generation star trek vibes 
Yeah, some of it. Some of it has original Star Trek vibes because they were around the same time. That's true. It's uh, it's some old stuff. Mm-hmm. TV-wise, like graphic-wise. Yeah, but that was also f- part of the fun. Mm-hmm. But still very good. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the uh, the appeal to me of the original Star Trek series too is that they have a, a alien species that they're researching in one of the first episodes and it's just a a little like chihuahua sized dog in a weird outfit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's the imagination. You make do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make do for Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um. So after the original run of the show finished. There was a large gap until 1996, which was almost 30 years later, when there was a movie released starring the Eighth Doctor. The movie had its own story. It was set in California, I think, somewhere in the United States. And that was pretty much the only thing the Eighth Doctor got to be in as himself. He's shown up in other places throughout kind of as a reference and tying him in. But this was like his story. I have not seen this, correct? Correct. I watched yeah. it once in high school and I didn't I didn't really dislike it, but I do not remember most of it. Okay. I yeah, I have not seen that. And then in 2005, everything changed. It's New Who time. New Who. We back. <laughs> New Who. Or as I have in my notes, Doctor Who is back baby. <laughs> <laughs> And this is the beginning of the new Who era. New, improved. Mm-hmm. We know what CGI I... is now. <laughs> yes. A CGI exists now. <laughs> and it's not good yet, but it's got those 90s vibes. Pizza. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> uh, for that reference, please go watch the pilot of New Who. And I know, I know the special effects are bad, but just do it, okay? Please. It's part of the charm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't, I have no research to back this up, but I would argue that New Who is just as popular as the classic Who, if not more so. And that's just my personal opinion. So, feel free to disagree with me. <laughs> and you don't give a toot. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't give toot. a toot. um doctor who is of course still running on the bbc today but so far we have had the ninth through the 13th doctors with a couple extra things going on but we're not going to worry about that for this episode we do not need to talk about it okay if you want to know go watch the show (laughs) so this is the show that i fell in love with and i think that you also fell in love with I did. Uh, my Our dear audience that has not watched it is more than welcome to just start here. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's your turn to love it. But, and I would like to emphasize, I might blow out my audio, but I'm going to get real close to the microphone to tell you, in all caps, please do not skip the ninth doctor as portrayed by Christopher Eccleston. I don't care how badly you want to get to David Tennant. I don't give a toot if you think the special effects are bad. You just need to watch it. It's only one season. You can handle it. It's worth it. I promise. Okay. I second that. I I don't remember who it was, but one of our friends watched Doctor Who and said they skipped that season, and I don't think I've spoken to them since. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
I have. I definitely have. But I yelled at them about it first. So um. it's, it's memorable. It's quotable. It's mm-hmm. important for the story. It's good. I like I, I love David Tennant and Matt Smith. I think Christopher Eccleston played the most realistic doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot I put in my notes uh, after the all caps, please do not skip. I put it will affect your opinion of the show and my opinion of you. <laughs> we will judge you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so the good thing about the new who is especially in the beginning, some of the special effects are still rough. But the New Who era incorporates references and the mythos of Old Who without making it inaccessible to new viewers. Like, I I didn't know there was a show before Christopher Eccleston when I first found it, and I did not feel lost in the slightest. So they mm-hmm. will keep pace with you, and they will keep you informed on things that you need to know. It, it was a perfect re-explanation of years of lore and story. Mm-hmm. And still making it its own thing and brand new and also old and perfect. Yeah. Like, in the very first episode, it's a Christmas special. Because Doctor Who also has a Christmas special almost every year. Except for the most recent showrunner and Doctor. But uh, that the first episode of New Who in 2005, the villain of the episode was a classic Who villain. So if you had watched the original show, you recognized the villain and it got you right back into it. And it was like, oh, cool. We're still keeping the same stuff. We're keeping the same, you know, kind of vibe and similar storylines. But if you hadn't seen it before, they introduce them as if they're new villains and you get to learn about them with the new companion who has no idea what's going on. And you get to jump right in as if it's a new show. Were they these guys? No, they were the Autons, Autons. A-U-T-O-N-S. They were the mannequins in that episode. Oh, I didn't... I don't remember them. I mean, I remember them, but I didn't realize that they were something different. Mm-hmm. It was um, in the first episode with Christopher Eccleston, it was Christmas time, so everybody was out shopping, and then all of a sudden all the mannequins were alive and they were, like, strangling people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually come back in an 11th Doctor episode, which this is spoilers, so skip... I'll keep it within a minute from now. So uh, when Rory dies at the one point and comes back, he comes back as an Auden and it's all the Romans and with the Autons and the Daleks and everybody's <gasps> oh, trying to get right. Matt Smith. Yeah. And uh, so they come back in that episode, which is a nice reference. I so. didn't realize that those were different. Yep. And uh Now I got 30 seconds to kill before everybody that's skipping spoilers comes back. So that was just such a good episode. It made me cry. That was when he waited 2000 years, which is so romantic and da, 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 da. But, you know, because it took 2000 years to open the box, right? Yeah, they had to jump to the future. And he's like, nah, fam, I'm going to stay. And then he did. Aww. So. But anywho, we're about a minute. That's almost as good as one of the finales for um, Toulouse. <laughs> I'm about to show you your finale <laughs> for Peter Capaldi. Yes, yeah. Who, for the record, is Mike's favorite doctor? That makes sense. So, as of next year, which is 2023, uh, Doctor Who will have been in existence for 70 years. 
that's a long time. Mm-hmm. What was the running time of like Star Treks? Uh, well, the original series was short. Let's see, Star Trek. Let's just look at the original release date. Star Trek started in 1966, so three years after Doctor Who. That's crazy. And they've had a bunch of shows. Yep. Right. Um, and I say it's in existence for 70 years because there is that 30-year gap and then there's another, like, nine-year gap, you know? But mm-hmm. 70 years, same show, That's similar. A, still a long time. Yeah. That's insane. Um, And uh, this is... This is the part in my notes where I inserted a a line called personal stories about Doctor Who. In case we had anything in particular we wanted to talk about that we haven't mentioned already before we get into the tea. Doctor Who, I think, is one of the things that really solidified our friendship Mm -hmm. early on was you introducing me to this world Mm -hmm. because I had never seen Doctor Who. I had never seen Sherlock. I had never seen Supernatural, mm-hmm. so you introduced <laughs> me to two of those. Me and me and Mike rolling up as a, Mike was a full on Tumblr kid. I was like a Tumblr by proxy kid, and we we're just introducing you to Super Who Lock. Not Supernatural yet, but yeah. we're getting you there. Well, I actually did start Supernatural. I watched a couple seasons, and I gotta say, I don't love it. Yeah. So I will never be a Super Who Lock, but I am a Super Who. No, a hulak. A hulak. I'm a hulak. <laughs> Super who. <laughs> Sounds like I belong in Whoville. <laughs> a, a sub, a, a, a super who, a super who. A super who. I'm a car. Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. I'm a sheep. Um, <laughs> I actually do have one Doctor Who kind of story. Uh, I essentially in high school made Doctor Who my religion. And mm-hmm. that was when Matt Smith and Clara were the current characters on the show. So my high school boyfriend actually uh, cut his hair as an in-between of David Tennant and Matt Smith. Like it wasn't the full floop mm-hmm. of Matt Smith, but he had it like spiky and it kind of had a little bit of a wave to it. And I got to the point that I went to the hairdresser and I literally just took a picture of Clara Oswald because she also has brown hair and it's fairly straight. So I wanted it in that kind of bob she has. So we just mm-hmm. made ourselves into these characters. We both felt very strongly. He crocheted, he learned to crochet so he could crochet me a TARDIS scarf. Oh, like this was this this is why sam wrote me a note themed about doctor who because this was like my i had school and doctor who and that was it that was my whole life that's fair and now it's just like a lingering incorporation into my personality i love that it fits thank you you're welcome (laughs) i also uh i used to have a cardboard cut out of the tardis on my wall it's currently under our bed question mark yeah yeah, we now have that cut out of the TARDIS. <laughs> Do you remember all the picture frames around the TV? Yeah. So at mom's house growing up, I had a wall that was probably close to like 15 feet high. It had like a peak because I was on the second floor. And that mm-hmm. entire wall was the cardboard cutout of the TARDIS surrounded by frames. And it was just wow. beautiful. I don't think I have any pictures of it, which is unfortunate. 
Um, if I ever find any, I will show you. But it was yes, please. Mostly Doctor Who stuff, but just like, like I don't know if anybody remembers. Um, there was a particular style of fan art that had a bunch of characters like going down in a line, and I had four frames that fit on top of each other of eight by tens that looked like the Tumblr background like the blue blog with the white posts in it and it was just mm-hmm. tumblr characters it was um 9 10 and 11 from doctor who it was sherlock and watson and moriarty it was hannibal and will graham it was cass and dean and sam from supernatural like it was just anybody that was on tumblr around 2014 was on this thing on my wall that's amazing i was i was committed to the bit except i never made a tumblr account <laughs> <laughs> like that's the only thing i didn't do I made a Tumblr account in college my sophomore year, junior year. Hmm. Sophomore year. I don't use it. Yeah. I was going to say any time to start is better than <laughs> no time to start. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, into our tea for the day. Yes. We have a what's called the blue box set, which is a reference to the TARDIS, which is a blue police box um, it's a time machine that can disguise itself as anything, except it got stuck as a blue police box at the very beginning of the show. So it will be that forever. <laughs> I have it currently in my hand. Yeah. And I, it makes a whooshing sound that I am not going to attempt to make. Uh, but I did used to have an alarm clock that was a little TARDIS and it lit up and the alarm sound was the TARDIS. And to turn it off, you bopped the little light on top. I feel like that would get a little bit much at times, but I love the energy. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a little <laughs> bit much. It became a decoration, and I did not use it for an alarm clock because then I started to hate the sound of the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, that's a horrible side effect. Yeah, it's fixed now. I'm fine. That's good. Um, but anyway, Tea and Absinthe has the blue box set. Uh, they are a company that didn't have a ton of information in like an about us section on their website. But they did have a few things. Uh, when you pull up their website, their logo says the tagline, drink your fandom. And their whole thing is that they make teas based on either movies or TV shows or comics or specific characters. Just whatever combination of flavors they think represents each of those entities. Mm-hmm. Um, their Facebook page describes their servants, their services as decadence and delight for the elegantly geeky. I love that. Right? That's such a good description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I found them at Dragon Con, but from what I can tell on their website, it looks like they visit cons across the country, or you can order from their online shop and have it shipped to your home. I don't know if they ship internationally, but they are at least in the United States. Ooh. Check them out. Yeah. This is not sponsored, by the way. I just think it was cool. Um, we just like you a lot. Yeah, well, I haven't tried their tea yet. I like your concept so far. Let me try your tea first, and then I'll make a final decision. Fair enough. But they also have other products being tea and absinthe, uh, which Mike would like, actually, and I didn't know until today when I did my notes. But they have um, drinkware, fandom fun stuff, which is just like little paraphernalia toys and stuff like that. And they have a Mm -hmm. section called absinthia, which is like traditional absinthe glasses and spoons and all that kind of stuff like Ooh. tiny spoons but they're like one shape like a leaf and it's cool Ooh, interesting and of course they have teas themed about the new who doctors 
<laughs> and actually, when you pull up their website, uh, it has their logo. And then immediately below that, it has a quote that says, tea, that's all I needed. Good cup of tea. Superheated infusion of free radicals and tannin. Just the thing for healing the synapses, which is from David Tennant's first episode of Doctor Who. I was going to say, that sounds like a Capaldi thing. I could yeah. hear him saying that, too. Mm -hmm. It was a... Uh, in. David Tennant's first episode of Doctor Who, uh, the regeneration always kind of takes a second. So he was healing and he was trying to tell them what he needed and he kept passing out. And then eventually a tea, a cup of tea happened to be like near him and he inhaled the steam from the tea. And that is what woke him up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I love it. Science fiction. <laughs> so uh, we... Uh, if you're okay with it, and if that works well, I'm thinking we can talk about each doctor and then try their tea one at a time in order. Sure. All yeah. right. And then we'll Absolutely. decide if we think the tea fits, if the boot fits, and uh, figure <laughs> out what our favorite is. All right. So let me open this little packaging here. Um, the first one is the ninth doctor, which, as we have mentioned, is played by Christopher Eccleston. Do not skip. Do not skip. I <laughs> Don't even skip this section. Um, for each of these, I basically talk about what makes them them, and then some honorable mentions of best episodes and some quotes that I or we really like, and then we'll try the tea. So. All right. Uh, what makes the ninth doctor the ninth doctor? This was the first doctor of New Who, and he had a lot to live up to and had to start a show that, aside from the movie, had been off air for however long it is from 1989 to 2005 1989 to 2005 right? that's 16 years that can't be right is it maybe i don't know what's math this is science fiction we don't do math here anyway so he had to bring back this show basically <laughs> is the point <laughs> okay um each doctor has their own outfit and his usually consisted of a maroon, purple, red, black, generally some kind of dark t-shirt, a little v-neck, very Simon Cowell style, uh, with a mm -hmm. leather jacket and black pants. So he's very just simple, not trying to be too flashy to bring the show back. He was very direct and a little critical and highly sarcastic, but also goofy once he got comfortable. Mm -hmm. And he was only around for one season, but it was a great season. It really was. Mm -hmm. Like people always, always rat on him, but I'm like, but have you seen most of the episodes? <laughs> like, I don't think I hated any of them. Yeah. It was. And as someone who had never seen any Doctor Who learning, it was not a bad experience with him. Mm hmm. Um, and the doctors also tend to have like their catchphrases or just kind of the way that they speak their mannerisms. And for this doctor, mm -hmm. a lot of the time he used the word fantastic in various situations and levels of sarcasm versus being genuine. <laughs> um, and quick spoilers for this character. This doctor is the doctor who has PTSD from the Time War. So this is why I said that he was the most realistic doctor. And they don't really talk about the Time War for a long time in the show other than it was traumatic. So mm -hmm. it, he doesn't come across, you know, the character doesn't come out and say, I have PTSD from the Time War. You just kind of pick up on hints of it here and there. Um, 
but he is essentially just coming off of having destroyed billions of lives to end the war because he couldn't think of any other way of saving the universe and Mm -hmm. hints of that darkness and self-doubt and guilt play into the episodes and it just makes his character really interesting to watch and easy to get invested in once you understand why he does the things he does and i think it's so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. um some of my favorite episodes from that doctor were the first episode obviously uh, Which we quote a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> um, there's also The Empty Child, which we also quote a lot because that's the episode where Are You My Mummy comes from. Yeah, uh, that was the first episode where I realized Doctor Who's kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, that episode is terrifying the first time you watch it. Yeah. Even after, like, it's still a little creepy, but at least you know what's going on, you know? Um, That's also the episode where one of the uh, possibly most popular companions, and so popular, in fact, he got his own spinoff, but that's where Jack Harkness is seen for the first time. Oh, yeah. I forgot that's how he's introduced. Yeah. That's where he shows up. First season shows up there. So later, if you skip Hmm. the first season and you see him, he's just there. You don't really get an explanation for why he's there he's also in the finale and things happen in the finale that are really important that they reference the second he comes back so Mm -hmm. do not skip do not skip (laughs) uh another very good episode is father's day which is super emotional do you remember what that one is Mm -mm. i don't know the i don't know the episodes by title okay father's day is the episode where um so Rose Tyler is the Ninth Doctor's companion, and she lives with her single mom. She was raised by her single mom since she was about four, and that's because her dad died. Or no, since she was a baby. Her dad died when she was a baby. And in Father's Day, she essentially tricks the Doctor into taking her back to the day her father died so that she could see him, and she ends up saving oh, him. yeah. And it just, it's emotional, and you should watch it, even if you just watch that episode understanding time travel and that's her dad i was gonna say it sets up a huge part of the um the theme of being the doctor where you observe but don't influence Mm -hmm. and usually if you are able to influence it means that you were supposed to help but like it it sets up a lot of important world building yeah like it's for the rest of the series It sets up that their principle of time travel isn't that, like, you can't touch anything, but you you cannot go back and deliberately change things in your past. You can only go to a spot and you just have to see what happens. You can't do something knowing the exact future and the outcome of what you're doing. Right. And then my last favorite episode of his is called The Parting of the Ways. And that is his season finale. That is also where he regenerates into David Tennant, which is mm-hmm. interesting because when you read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, in the movie, David Tennant plays uh, Barty Crouch Jr. In the Harry Potter book, the chapter where Barty Crouch Jr. shows up for the first time, or no, the chapter where Barty Crouch Jr. dies, or is, I don't even know because I haven't read the books, whenever he's done, that chapter is called The Parting of the Ways. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh-huh. So it's just a nice little circle that doesn't actually mean very much other than it's just cool. 
is just like, oh, I see what you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but the, the season finale also has a lovely payoff for all of this ongoing trauma that he's experiencing and trying to deal with. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite quotes that I think about, like, is part of when I consider Doctor Who to be my religion because it's like how I try to base my personal quality of character off of but he's fighting this big enemy they're threatening that uh if he wants to destroy them he might also destroy half of planet earth and he doesn't want that body count and they're kind of like tormenting him with it and they say um what are you a coward or a killer and he hesitates for a second and then he says coward any day and then just backs off and will not risk the lives of half the planet Aww. He's so good. I'm like perfectly emotional to start crying over Doctor Who mm. if we wanted to. <clears throat> Speaking of which. I feel that. <laughs> I got emotional for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. But here we go. So his final speech is lovely because it's a good speech in general. Uh, but also it's a payoff for just him as a character. So at one point he is trying to save Rose he kicks her out, basically, and is sending her home in the TARDIS. And she's arguing with him. And there's a hologram that's like, a re- it looks like a recording of him. And you find out later, a mid-recording, it's basically the way it's set up is. <clears throat> there's a hologram. And it's talking to her, but it's looking straight ahead like it's just a recording. Like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope style. Mm-hmm. And he says, Rose, now listen, this is important. If this message is activated, that it can only mean one thing. We must be in danger. And I mean fatal. The TARDIS is taking you home. And I bet you're fussing and moaning now. Typical. But hold on and just listen a bit more. (laughs) The TARDIS can never return for me. Emergency program one means I'm facing an enemy that should never get their hands on this machine. And if you want to remember me, then you can do one thing. That's all. One thing. And at this point, the hologram stops looking ahead and turns and looks at where Rose is standing and says, have a good life. And I, oh, and I just get like, bleh about that because it's so good. Mm -hmm. It is really good. Mm -hmm. Oh. And then she basically tells him to F off and finds her way back so she can go save him. (laughs) It all works out. She's a strong, independent woman. Absolutely. Um, but it does end up killing the doctor. So he regenerates into David Tennant. And after saying fantastic this entire season, he says, Rose, before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? So was I. (laughs) And he finally got over like all the PTSD and the guilt, not all of it, but you know, like moving on to that next stage of healing. And this Mm -hmm. is why you don't skip the first season and the ninth Doctor. (laughs) Because it's so worth it. Don't skip it. Don't (laughs) skip it. It's so good. I could go on forever about that season. But anyway, um, the tea that tea tea and absinthe made is called Nine Fantastic. Hmm. And it is a lemon and spice rose hip flavored because he is the one that introduced Rose as a companion. Oh, I can't say this word. Ayurvedic herbal infusion. We have. I think you said that exactly how it's supposed to say. We've said this before on the podcast, and I got to remember what it means. That's right. We have said it before, and I think it was when we were talking about chai. Uh, Ayurvedic is like a holistic approach to medicine, particularly from Asia and India. Ah, yes. that's right. 
So it's an herbal inf- infusion developed to help with regeneration. Wink, wink, which is their description, not mine. <laughs> it's not as sweet as the other doctors. It's a little more bitter and complex. But then again, so was he. Aww. So would you like to go try Fantastic? I would. Okay. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm really nervous because I don't like rose flavored things. So we'll see. Yep. Um. It does say the main flavors are cinnamon, rosehip, chamomile, roasted chicory root, apple, lemongrass, raspberry leaves, ginger, cardamom. It sounds kind of rose chai-y flavor. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be a pretty good. So we're going to go do that All and right. we'll be right back. Um, I don't like the smell of this tea. It, it just has a shoe smell. <laughs> I smell like shoe. I could see that. <laughs> I I mostly smell the lemongrass. So. Yeah, the it's it's very Um Hold on, let me look at the ingredients again. Okay. There's one thing in here that I cardamom. I'm getting the cardamom. Mm. I and cloves. Oh, man. <laughs> you got this. You got this. I got this. This is fine. Fen- oh, you know what? I'm also kind of smelling the fennel. He's not everyone's favorite. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He is distinct, though. Yes, he is. All right. I got my sugar at the ready. Um, sugar. I took a picture of it, but I didn't even think about like how pretty the tea itself would be when I opened the packet. Yeah. Like, just whole flowers and chunks of stuff, and it was just super pretty, so. It was it was really elegant. I literally cannot drink this. It's too hot. Oh. It's, <laughs> I, you can't see it because there's not enough light, but it is super steamy. Tea that is too hot. I am drinking it out of my Taurus mug because it's covered in stars, so it felt appropriate. Is that a Taurus mug? Taurus. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, wait, wait, hold on. Let me show you what I got. Okay. I've got the moon. <laughs> yeah, we're space. It's also kind of like a TARDIS blue. It is. And there are some Doctor Who episodes specifically about the moon itself. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I have. You want a dink? I want a dink. Dink. That is not what I was expecting. No, I don't hate this. Yeah. Just like the ninth doctor. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't what I expect, but I don't hate it. It's a lot more refreshing than I thought it would be. Like. Yeah. It smells bitter and spicy. And it, it tastes fresh. It tastes like if you were to have warm lemon water. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, my sinuses opened up. Yeah. I oh, you wow. know I I kind of really like mm. this. And I think I'm I'm pretty sure it's caffeine free. Isn't it? This is so nice. There's nothing caffeinated in it. Uh-uh. I'm going to let that cool a little bit more and probably keep drinking that in between trying the other teas. That's really good. Holy crap. 
All right. I'm going to rate this tea fantastic. <laughs> you know what? Me too. <laughs> it's it's good. Um, oh, I should also mention a couple things about tea and absinthe packaging. So our blue box sets are little... Uh, how much is this? My guess is it's about two ounces. Yeah, it's it's two to three ounces of the tea leaves uh, just to sample it. They actually have a box. I forget what it's called. It's something like a little bit of everything um, or I'll take the lot, like something to that extent. But they have one that you can buy a sampler of everything they make, every tea. Oh, my um, gosh. That must be so expensive. It, uh, it's on their website. Um, this tea is starting to make me nauseous. Yeah. I think it's the cloves. Possibly. Or it's it's minty. I was gonna say I think it's the lemongrass because lemongrass gives me that same vibe of like minty. Something's something's making my stomach upset. I'm gonna stop drinking it, but overall, I really like it. Okay, I was gonna say, do you want to go get a uh, a cracker or something? No, I'll be okay. Okay, um, it's the Gimme Everything Tea Sampler box, and it's sixty five dollars, which is really not bad. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Do they say how many it is? They call it the multiverse of tea and absinthe. Uh, 30 to 35 tea flavors in a box. That's a lot of fandoms. Mm-hmm. Well, you figure, like, we're covering four of them today. <laughs> anyway, so, I like that one. I think that fits him pretty well. It was unexpected and refreshing and still good, but not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to introduce the Ninth Doctor. It almost feels like, you know, the um, Bath and Body Works candles, like mahogany, teak wood or whatever it's mm -hmm. called, that it just smells very, like, manly. Sandalwood is what it's giving me. Yeah, that's what this tastes like. Sandalwood vibes. Which I don't hate. I like it. Yeah. But, uh, mm -hmm. anyway, it's time. It's time to move it's on. It's time to the 10th doctor shall we go steep the tea yes we're gonna do that and okay. then we're gonna come back and i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> i'm gonna be honest though he is my favorite doctor uh this tea makes me nervous i agree 100 percent. it smelled very strongly it reminded me of medicine same I almost gagged a little, so uh, we're gonna. I kind of did. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna let this sit. My stomach feels a little queasy. Oh yeah, I just okay. So okay, first we're gonna talk about all the good things. David Tennant, just mm -hmm. just the best. Um, his outfit usually consisted of either a blue or brown suit, depending on which season we were in. And a trench coat and spiky mm -hmm. hair and what they call in Britain land sand shoes, which means he basically wears Converse, which are like shoes you can wear to the gym. I had to Google Why it. sand? I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Sand shoes origin. <laughs> in the UK, <laughs> the new Liverpool rubber company developed a light shoe, which combined a cotton canvas top to a rubber sole. They were called sand shoes and became popular with urban working class people to enjoy a day at the seaside. That's from foottalk.blogspot.com. Foot talk. <laughs> Foot talk. So now you know. All right. Because they wore them to the beach. 
And now I got to add that to the sources. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, so anyway, so he wears Converse with the suit. Lots of running. So much running. He had lots of catchphrases. I think the most of any of the new Who doctors, as far as like just short one to two word catchphrases, uh, he said mm-hmm. Allons-y, of course, which uh, is French for let's go. Um, and he had a running joke about he wanted to meet someone named Alonzo so he could say Alonzi Alonzo. And that does happen at one point in the show. And it's great. <laughs> it's a good moment. He also says brilliant and well, and I'm sorry. And a whole bunch of stuff, just real quick, quippy things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got three seasons and a couple uh, one year basically of longer specials it was i think five specials total like four stories and one of them's a two-parter and when david Tennant regenerated russell t davies who was the showrunner since the show started again in 2005 left the show with him and my personal experience is that i prefer russell t davies he his writing style is much more character and emotion driven storylines instead of focusing on making Mm -hmm. like really cool science fiction things that make sense in the world like his science fiction was cool but there were some details where he was like and it just magically works out because we're ready to move on from the storyline and i was okay with that right um and you know what it worked but 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 (laughs) um i know you usually don't like spoilers for like future doctors and stuff but i don't think this counts because this is behind the scenes stuff he's coming back Mm -hmm. i'm so excited what does that even mean like for an episode no russell t davies is is becoming the showrunner again he is taking over the show again oh and it's gonna get back to original quality and i'm so excited (laughs) i thought you meant that david Tennant was coming back and i was like what do you mean no 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 i'm talking like russell t davies is coming back to take to run the show again nice yeah so that's exciting granted i don't know what's going to happen as far as which doctors are going to be in the 70 year anniversary because we're the 60 year anniversary no the 50 year anniversary oh my god i'm wrong i can't do math it's 60 years next year because it was 50 years last time yeah mike and i were talking about that yesterday i think yeah but they brought david Tennant back for that so who knows who's going to show up Mm -hmm. to this one matt smith might come back i don't know Um, but anyway I'm just excited for Russell T Davies to come back because uh, I didn't particularly enjoy more recent episodes and I'm just ready for him to come back and make it what I miss Um, but anyway he and David Tennant is just my whole my whole favorite package and I could go on and on for a long time so I'm just going to get to the honorable mentions of episodes and it's all of them (laughs) (laughs) well okay well (laughs) just wait just wait so anyway um some of my favorites are the girl in the fireplace which is the episode about uh madame de pompadour that one is one of my favorites too it's yeah that's another one that if you if you just want to pick and choose like the best episodes of doctor who father's day and the girl in the fireplace is on that list um Mm -hmm. doomsday was a season finale and it was so good the Shakespeare code, just the silliness of going back to a Shakespeare play that also involves actual witches is just so entertaining to me. Uh, Human Nature, Family of Blood is one of those episodes that explores a lot of heavy topics and it's so good. That's um, 
there's a character quote from there that it's it's a non main character, not companion anything. She was only in those two episodes, and sh- and after everything settles down and people have died, she said, uh, and he they're talking about you know the doctor saves a lot of people and a lot of people are alive because of him. And she says, well, tell me one thing: if the doctor had never chosen this place on a whim, would anybody here have died? And then just that's basically like the end of the episode. It's just like collateral damage sucks. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, he's also the doctor that uh, one of Stephen Moffat's early episodes and Stephen Moffat, who is a later showrunner, is known for creating monsters is Blink, which is the episode in which the Weeping Angels are introduced. Uh, don't like it. Another great one to just go watch, even if you're not going to watch the whole show. Mm. Uh, there's also not a fan. <laughs> it's so good though. That's wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. That's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also David Tennant didn't have a ton of big speeches, but he did have a lot of throwaway lines. Like the wibbly wobbly timey wimey was very monologue-y. But in that episode, uh, there's a part where he's also just running around the streets of New York, and somebody's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "I have a machine. It goes ding when there's stuff." And that's science fiction. <laughs> um, it goes ding and there's stuff. <laughs> there's also uh, the Doctor's Daughter, which is another two-part episode. But the fun story about the Doctor's Daughter is the actress that plays the Doctor's Daughter, because it's a science fiction, she's immediately an adult clone kind of thing in the episode. Uh, the actress is the daughter of the actor that played the fifth Doctor. She also, on the set of that episode, fell in love with David Tennant and he with her, so they got married. So the doctor married the doctor's daughter, and then later, into their marriage, they had a daughter. So the doctor's daughter had the doctor's daughter. And they met on the doctor's daughter. (laughs) So interesting. (laughs) It's so great. She seems lovely, though. I haven't watched her anything else, but she was very good in that episode. Aww. Um, the other ones, Fires of Pompeii, just explores what if you could go to Pompeii and you knew it's going to explode kind of thing. Very good episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Midnight is very good. That's the episode where the doctor is on that bus on a tour on the planet called Midnight. And it's the monster that takes over people's bodies and is just repeating what people says, what people say. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. That one's creepy, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's stressful. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there are Journey's End and The End of Time, which were the season four finale and the uh, episode special in which David Tennant regenerates. Just excellent. Mm-hmm. Did you have any episodes that I didn't mention that you really liked that you remember? Hmm. No, they all ran together. We watched them very fast because they're your favorite. We did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have the uh, entirety of David Tennant's time on Doctor Who, including like animated stuff that he did on DVD in a box set that is no longer sold as far as I know. So. Oh, geez. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. My uncle had it and went, I don't want this anymore. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like I said, uh, David Tennant didn't have a ton of speeches per se, but he did have a lot of great one to two liners. Um, Mm -hmm. one of which was some people live longer in 20 years than others do in 80. That's a good one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, of course, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole, just the whole thing with Rose in Doomsday, but especially the line "I'm burning up a sun just to say goodbye." Aww. Yeah. And uh, towards the end of the season with Rose, it says. I've seen fake gods and bad gods and demigods and would-be gods. And out of all that, out of that whole pantheon, if I believe in one thing, just one thing, I believe in her. Talking about Rose. Aww. And it's just so good. It is really good. Mm-hmm. But there is, uh, there are a couple times that David Tennant's doctor references Christopher Eccleston's doctor. And actually, both of the references come from the episode, The Empty Child. So in that episode, we already talked about the, are you my mummy line, which when Mm -hmm. David Tennant at one point gets a gas mask, he puts it on and the general's talking to him about like this public emergency. And he just goes, are you my mummy? And the general's like, what? And then they move on. Uh, So again, if you skipped nine, you won't know what that is. And you should not skip nine. Do not skip it. Do not skip it. In that same episode, uh, as the Doctor and Jack Harkness are getting to know each other, they're talking about what used to be a weapons factory that Jack is, you know, touting it. And he's like, yeah, you get the best weapons there. And it was on this planet. And he said, but it's a shame they tore it down and planted a banana factory or a banana farm. And the Doctor mm-hmm. kind of hints at like, yeah, that was me. I, I tore that down and I had them build a banana farm in that place. And then he starts talking about always bring a banana to a party. And it comes from that episode. <laughs> Later. I realize that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, in The Girl in the Fireplace, it's an episode that goes back and forth between, I think, the 55th century and the time of Madame de Pompadour in France. And uh, David Tennant's doctor shows up as if he is drunk. And he says, I think I just invented the banana daiquiri a couple centuries early. Always bring a banana to a party, Rose. <laughs> so... Uh, tea and absinthe took that and ran with it. So their tea for David Tennant is called Alonzi. Mm-hmm. And their description is one should always take a banana to a party, especially if you're going to invent the banana daiquiri two centuries too early. Bananas are good. Tea is good. Banana and coconut flavored black tea. Brilliant. <laughs> I should love this. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have the banana, I think I would love it. The bananas where I'm concerned. Um, but it's black tea with coconut rasps, coconut chips, banana bits, and cornflower blossoms. As long as it's not artificial banana, I should be fine. I'm pretty sure it was. It looked like just chunks of banana. All right. Whoa, I smell the banana. Now that I realize it's banana, it's less medicine. And now just banana. It smells like um, banana runts to me. Uh, it smells like <laughs> banana taffy. Laffy taffy. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Okay. Instant headache. I'm ready. You only got to do one sip. Dink. Dink. It's about what I'd imagine it. It's artificial banana. It tastes like if you made just a regular English breakfast black tea and melted a Laffy Taffy into it, but less sweet. Yeah, it's... um. Ugh. <laughs> yep, I don't like it. I can't take another sip. There was... Oh my god, I it makes sense now. When I was little, there was this pink medicine uh-huh. that I would take. And it was the most palatable of the medicines because it wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. Right. Um, that's what it tasted like. It was banana. 
Oh, that's unfortunate. Can I go dump this now? Yep. Let's, uh, so we do not like it. Disapprove. Um, We don't like it. It wasn't very brilliant. (laughs) Not brilliant. (laughs) Um, I also realized, and shame on me, pardon my uh, forgetfulness, we are officially recording past both of our bedtimes at this point, but I forgot the most iconic David Tennant quote. And what is that? Slash speech, which is uh, just the whole, the whole sequence as he is heading towards his regeneration of revisiting old companions. Um, actually, one of the most emotional parts of, of the end of David Tennant's era for me is everything regarding Donna Noble, which I won't get into specifics, but she's another companion that her dad isn't in the show because he died before the show began. Um, and she, it's her wedding and the doctor's talking to her mom who doesn't like the doctor, by the way, and to her grandfather who becomes his own companion in his own right. And whose actor actually passed away recently, which is a whole separate sad note. Did he really? Yeah. Wait, isn't he Arthur Weasley? No, that's, that's Rory's dad. Oh, at the wedding, the doctor shows up with a gift and it's an envelope. And he said, uh, I got this for her and his mom kind of opens it and looks and it's a lottery ticket, which, you know, a lottery ticket from a time traveler, usually a pretty good uh, gift, a good idea. But he says, yeah, I uh, I went back and bought a, the winning ticket, but I didn't have any money on me. So this guy and he explains that it was Donna's dad loaned him money and he said, have that. He said, have that Aww. on me. And it's just like, yeah, unnecessary emotion, you know, <laughs> because I'm already upset about David Tennant. And then it's just that. It's so good. And uh, you actually, um, depending on how old you are, listener, you may have seen the meme of Wilfred, who is the older white haired man that is just super red face, tearing up, crying with his hand covering his mouth. That is the grandfather mm-hmm. that I'm talking about. That meme of being sad. That was Wilfred. Uh, and it's just very good. Uh, but at the very end, of course, his last line, he's talking to a character species called the Ood. And the Ood said, we will sing to you, doctor. We, The universe will sing you to your sleep. And he stumbles his way into the TARDIS as he's dying. And the music builds. And then he just says, I don't want to go. And then explodes. And then Matt Smith shows up. <laughs> and the music completely changes. And he's really excited to have hair. Yeah, that's that one's... That one's tough. But Matt Smith shows up at the very end of the end of time when David Tennant regenerates because there's a whole sequence where he's like every regeneration he checks his body parts to make sure oh, he's yeah. still normal like human and not some other right. alien species. Um, so he's just going through like picks up and Matt Smith is tall and at that point in his life relatively skinny and like the suit doesn't fit him right. So it just he can look ragdoll-ish. He's just picking up his knee and like kissing his knee for the fact that it exists. And he grabs uh his hair because his hair's longer than David right. Tennant's was. And he pulls it out and pulls it like out in front of his face and his voice squeaks. And he goes, I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great introduction. I need to rewatch that. And then he crash lands the TARDIS. And we just go straight into the next season. Not straight into, you know, you had to wait for the next season. But if you're binge watching it, straight into the next season. And now enter my favorite doctor. Mm-hmm. I would say it, it's it's a pretty close tie between 10 and 11 mm-hmm. for who is the most popular doctor of New Who. I agree with that. So Matt Smith had to follow David Tennant. And while that is a an enormous feat because David Tennant was really well loved and showrunners leaving and it was a big emotional thing. 
Matt Smith did not disappoint from episode one. He was Mm -hmm. on it. Um, Matt Smith was actually 26 years old uh, when he took on that role. So he was like our age and became the doctor. Uh, And he he's the youngest one to have ever taken on the role, at least so far. Um, His outfit is probably one of the most iconic outfits from New Who. He has uh, suspenders. He has a jacket with elbow patches and, of course, a bow tie because bow ties are cool. (laughs) And uh, sometimes he wears a fez as well. (laughs) Uh, Mom, I would like to give you a heads up. This is the reason we have suspenders and bow ties in our wedding. It is because (laughs) Matt Smith, because Mike and I both love him. Actually, fun fact, um, there is a picture of a young Mike from high school dressed as matt mm-hmm. smith for halloween i think mm-hmm. so yeah something he is dressed as matt smith um so at the time he was also mike's favorite that changed when capaldi came around but yeah mike and i share a love for matt smith <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of which something i should have mentioned before is that uh the doctor has a tool called the sonic screwdriver that is basically like his get out of jail free card unless jail is locked with a wooden door yeah um and that also changes with the doctors so we each have a sonic screwdriver in the style of the 11th doctor yes and it makes me very happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um they light up Yours opens like the doctor's does on the show. Uh-huh. Mine is made of metal and doubles as an actual screwdriver. It's very cool. <laughs> I have used it to assemble furniture. The bookshelves behind me, I used it for a minute on these bookshelves. And this one is perfectly balanced to throw it like he does in the show. Oh, Because he kind of tosses it up and spins it 360. Uh-huh. I, have you ever done that with this? No. It just, it's nice. It's perfect. (laughs) But anyway, so um, speaking of throwing sonic screwdrivers around, Matt Smith's characterization of the Doctor had to change at least kind of drastically from David Tennant to be his own thing because they were both young and very conventionally attractive men. Romance wasn't like his main driver, but he was probably the most romantic of the new Who Doctors. Mm -hmm. So... Matt Smith's thing is more about talking with his hands, talking really quickly. He expresses himself uh, like a child, just being excited. And he's very charming and like that charismatic, like you said, whimsical kind of way. But the thing that I like about Matt Smith's doctor is that he also gets very dark sometimes. Yeah. Like out of nowhere (laughs) dark. And it's, it's, it's really entertaining. I like it a lot. That's fair. One of his, maybe his biggest phrase, other than bow ties are cool, was Geronimo. But in my opinion, I think Matt Smith has the best speeches of the new Who doctors. I don't know. I think that honestly should go to Capaldi. He has some amazing speeches. I love Matt Smith. Capaldi had me on the edge Mm -hmm. of my seat every time he spoke. I was just infatuated with Matt Smith that I wanted to just stare at him. But Mm -hmm. Peter Capaldi just spoke with such determination that you're just like, okay, I'm listening. Ah, see, I like the, my favorite speeches are the ones that like, I can quote it completely out of context and it would be a good speech to live by kind of thing. That's fair. Yeah. And, And Stephen Moffat, for as much as I say I like Russell T Davies better, Stephen Moffat is on point with speech writing and science fiction monster creation. Can you give me a quote, an out of context quote 
for uh, Matt Smith? Oh, I absolutely can. Um, there is... Uh, actually, let me wait because I need to... We need to... It's a whole experience. I have to give it to you in context, but it's usable out of context. Um, my honorable mentions for episodes for Matt Smith is uh, God, all of these two, LOL. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just all good. Um, the 11th hour is his first... His first episode, and it's the title is great because he's the eleventh Doctor, but also the eleventh hour. Like the the whole thing is very stressful, last minute, and it is I think the strongest opening for any regeneration for any new Doctor in New Who. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the time of the angels in Flesh and Stone. Is that the one where he grabs Amy and says, "Whatever you do, don't blink," and they're in the middle of dark woods? Yes. God, that episode. That's that's the one where so Weeping Angels are established at this point. They're investigating a wrecked spaceship and this ancient civilization. And the whole time they're talking about this, these uh, beings that ran it. They're super intelligent. They had two heads. They had they talk about like the dynamics of that. And they're going in and there's all these like broken down statues and they're so far in and they realize, wait a second. The people that lived here had two heads. None of these statues have two heads. And they realize they are surrounded by weeping Uh. angels that are waking up because of the energy coming off of this crash ship. And it's just so stressful. It's a two-parter and it's great. I think you and Mike were sitting on the couch waiting for me to realize this was a a, a weeping angel episode. (laughs) And I'm like, there better not be any weeping angels in this episode. And there were. And oh, I was freaking out. It's so scary. This is because it starts with like they they show a weeping angel relatively early, and this is the one where they establish the lore that the image of an angel become itself becomes itself an angel, and they have an angel on the TV, and it keeps changing images and it moves around. And my sadistic self in high school made that my wallpaper on my laptop and had it rotate between the images so it looked like the angel. Was you moving. are sinister. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time hated it. <laughs> <laughs> just felt like the thing no. to do you know so anyway um that's a great episode it's a two-parter that has a really good speech about, in it about uh one thing you never put in a trap it's like he says something effective there's one thing you never put in a trap if you're smart if you value your conti- your continued existence if you have any plans on seeing tomorrow there's one thing you never ever put in a trap and the the weeping angel he's talking to says and what's that and he just goes me and then fires a gun and the episode ends and you have to watch part two and it's so good uh, but anyway i think the best if you're not going to watch anything else from doctor who you should go watch vincent and the doctor you can watch it on its own. It has the 11th Doctor and his companion at the time, Amelia Pond, who is played by Karen Gillan. And it's emotional and great. Uh, it's about Vincent van Gogh, or as they say, Vincent van Gogh. Yes. Uh, who also, I always forget the actor that portrays him, but he also does an excellent job and he looks just like him. Um And I wrote in my notes, WTF is happening, by the way, because today, I don't know if you've seen this, um, earlier today, uh, I forget what the group is called. I honestly don't especially care to remember their name. They are environmental activists who are protesting big oil and a lot of like natural oil. That's the same kind of stuff you'd use in gasoline gets used in paints. They were trying to make a point and they didn't do research at all because it doesn't apply, but they took cans of Campbell's tomato soup and threw it on the sunflower painting of Vincent van Gogh. 
and then started giving a speech about oil and the environment. Why? And it is not, Vincent Van Gogh has two sunflower paintings. There's one that is referenced in this Doctor Who episode. They threw it on the other one and the painting's okay. Oh, it's fine. They had glass in front of it and they said, since it's an oil painting and the soup is water-based, they could have gotten it out anyway. And they actually fixed it and put it back up. The frame was destroyed, but they put it in a new frame, got it back up on the wall on the same day. But I just saw that TikTok right before I started doing these notes and I was so stressed out and angry. <laughs> I was like, why? Why would you do that? Was it tomato soup or chicken noodle soup? It was tomato soup. Ah, yes. Why? Um. So there is another famous artist okay. called Andy Warhol. And he is the artist that's famous for painting the Campbell's tomato soup can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just think it's really <laughs> they funny. Did it. they, they destroyed yeah. art with art. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious oh. that they threw yeah. a different kind of art at another artist. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm like, I'm relieved the painting's okay. If the painting wasn't okay, I would not be able to laugh about this because it just like, because of Vincent and the doctor, I am invested in Vincent mm -hmm. Van Gogh. And I would just, but that is excellent of just throwing art at art to make a statement about art. <laughs> artistic. But anyway, one of the quotes that I adore and that I live by from Matt Smith is from the end of Vincent and the Doctor. So again, I'm going to spoil it. Um, if you don't want to hear that, just skip ahead a minute or two and we'll probably be out of it by then. But the whole point of the episode is that the Doctor and Amy go back and they visit Vincent van Gogh. And if you don't know, you know, he has all these paintings, but he was basically an outcast. He had severe mental health problems in his life and he never got any recognition for his paintings until mm -hmm. after he had died. So the point of the episode is that Amy really wants to show Vincent how much of an effect his art has had on people. Uh, and side note, Bill Nye's in this episode, the guy that plays Davy Jones in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, mm -hmm. he's the curator at the art museum. Um, so they bring Vincent to the future towards the end of the episode and they're showing him this. They take him through the museum and he's just in awe about, you know, like technology, first of all, because it's like 2010 at this point. And uh he's seeing all the art and everything. And then he, there's this whole room dedicated to him and he's just baffled. And then the doctor asked Bill Nye's character to rank Vincent uh, among every artist from history. And Bill Nye goes on a whole monologue about how he is the greatest painter who ever lived, but maybe also the greatest man who ever lived to be able to take that much pain and suffering and put it into art that portrayed the beauty of the world. Mm -hmm. And just like this whole beautiful thing about Van Gogh. But and he's crying and he's so happy and they take him back and he's like, I'm so glad I met you. And uh, there's a, com a conversation between him and Amy about the sunflowers. So on one of the sunflower paintings, the one with the blue background, um, when they come back to the future, they see the painting and he's written for Amy from Vincent on the vase in the mm -hmm. painting. So, you know, they edited it in. Right. Uh, there's also sci-fi going on in this episode, by the way, aside from the characterization <laughs> of Van Gogh. But... Amy's all excited because she's like, oh, when we get back, there's going to be so much new art because we had such an effect on his life. And when they get there, nothing has changed because he still had a bad life otherwise, other than those few days he spent with them. Right. And he still committed suicide. And she's just like so distraught by it. And Matt Smith says, the way I see it, every life is a pile of good things and bad things. 
The good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa, the bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant. And we definitely added to his pile of good things. Aww. And that's one of my, like, when I get really sad, I focus on that quote. And I'm like, good things, bad things, good things, bad things. Yeah. <laughs> just focus on that. So that's one that's, like, good out outside of the context, but also just the whole episode is so good. Highly recommend. What is the episode where they go to a planet and this little girl has to sing? Are you talking about like with the big sun when yeah. the doctor gives a speech? Yeah, it's like a song a, a song for something. It's called The Rings of Akatan. Ah. Because that's like what the, the system they're in is called. Um, that's an episode with the 11th Doctor and Clara. And that is also a very, very good speech. That is one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to read that speech to you for the for the episode? Yeah, I'm gonna try not to cry. I think I I feel like that one's okay. really emotional to me. It is. Hold on. And she's a very new companion at this point. Yeah, she and and Matt Smith didn't spend a ton of time together. Another one of my favorites is the library. Which library? Uh, it's like the first time they introduce. No, no, never mind. That's with Tenet. I I remember her saying, "You're so young." Yeah. But I forget mm -hmm. that was two generations before. That's another thing. Um, again, mild spoilers. River Song is the wife of the Doctor, but when she's introduced, he doesn't know her yet. She knows him very well. And I think we've talked about this, but she spends mm -hmm. most of her time with Matt Smith. And I don't know whether it was planned all the way through, but he has the bow tie. And she's always like adjusting his bow tie and fixing it. So in the very first episode that you meet River Song and she's talking with David Tennant, who does not wear a bow tie, she makes that comment about, you're so young, this is the youngest I've ever seen you. And she puts her hand where a bow tie would be. Aww. Just for a second. I'm just like... There's so many details in this show that I don't know if it's on purpose or not. That's but. amazing. Um, so anyway, the speech you're talking about, that is from The Rings of Akatan, which is uh, in Matt Smith, Matt, Matt Smith, <laughs> <laughs> Smith's last stretch. And the premise is that he's talking to the sun that has basically put him like big ball of fire sun that has put itself in the place of a god. And they have this tradition that somebody has to basically sacrifice their life and sing to it their the rest of their lives to keep it asleep and it feeds off of memories and that's like their currency so matt smith uh approaches it and he's trying to like get them out of the situation so the little girl that they met can live her life and he says you feed on enemies so take my memories but i hope you've got a big appetite because i've lived a long life and i've seen a few things i walked away from the last great time war i marked the passing of the time lords I saw the birth of the universe and I watched as time ran out, moment by moment, until nothing remained. No time, no space, just me. I walked in universes where the laws of physics were devised by the mind of a mad man. I've watched universes freeze and creations burn. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. I have lost things you will never understand. And I know things. Secrets that must never be told. Knowledge that must never be spoken knowledge that will make parasite gods blaze so come on then take it take it all baby have it you have it all oh it's such a good speech and i don't know for sure if he thought he would survive that or not he was ready although to add a little bit of comedy to that episode uh they shot it so that he's like silhouetted against the sun and when he finishes his big grand speech, he kind of like lets his head drop, but it's from the back. So it looks like his head just fell off. <laughs> <laughs> and it pulls me out of like where I get too emotional about it. 
Wop. My other, one of my other favorite episodes, mostly because of like the point that he makes in it. And it's the last one I'll talk about for 11 because I could go on and on. But it's one that's not really a favorite episode of most people. And that's the doctor, the witch and the wardrobe. And it was a Christmas special where it's just the doctor and he meets this family. It's uh, during World War II. And it's a mom raising her two kids while her husband is a pilot in the Royal Air Force. And they go to this um, the secondary home or this vacation home. And she's taking the kids there and their dad's supposed to come home and meet them for Christmas. And she gets a note at the beginning of the episode that says that his plane was lost and they don't know if he's alive or not. And they think that he's dead. Mm. And she hasn't told her kids because it's Christmas. Right. So she's struggling as a mother to like try to be happy and to make Christmas special so that she can just tell them afterwards and not ruin Christmas. But also she's mourning and trying to figure out everything. And again, there's also science fiction stuff happening in the middle of all this heavy content. Mm -hmm. Um, But at one point she's just so angry and it's just her and Matt Smith because he's trying to like Mary Poppins his way through it. Like he makes (laughs) his whole room full of toys and hammocks and all sorts of stuff. And um, she has the kids go downstairs and she's talking to him about why she's so frustrated. And she's like, I don't understand why I get so angry when they're happy. And he said, it's because every time you see them happy, you remember how sad they're going to be. And it breaks your heart. Because what's the point in them being sad if they're just, or if they're, in them being happy if they're just going to be sad later? And then he says, the point is, of course, because they're going to be sad later. Aww. And it's just, it's so good. It's, it's just so like words nice. to live by. Um, but anyway, I think I've talked so much about Eleven that my tea has actually gotten a little cold. So. I forgot about the tea. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we have tea. How about we try some tea? Um, so so this tea is called Geronimo. Uh, it is a delicious black tea with vanilla cream custard flavor. Fish fingers not included because in his first episode, Matt Smith meets a young Amelia Pond and he's trying to find the food that will bring him back through this regeneration and it ends up being fish fingers and custard. Yeah, he's like literally craving it. Yeah, and he tries a bunch of stuff. Like he tries beans, doesn't like it, spits it in the sink. He tries an apple and like throws it out the door. He tries a pear and said, nope, still don't like pears <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, that's what it. Oh, yeah. It's he tries just toast with butter, I think. And he takes a bite and he's like, nope. And he throws it like a Frisbee out the door and goes and stay out. <laughs> <laughs> um, So he settles on fish fingers and custard and tea and absinthe said it goes well with the TARDIS self-destruct button because there's an episode where he pretends to have a TARDIS self-destruct button and it's actually just a jammy dodger which is a cookie with a center of like red fruity filling (laughs) and he's like holding it and he's like I'll do it the TARDIS bang bang Daleks boom and he's like I'll do it and then he's like okay it's just a cookie and then continues on his way um so we're gonna try this black vanilla black tea with vanilla flavor all right you think yep I was correct. This is my favorite. The vanilla is almost a little too much mm. for me. I think it's oversteeped, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. I might be able to water it down. There's something else that I had that had this vanilla in it. It's got a cherry flavor to it, unfortunately. I don't know if it's cherry or if it's just artificial vanilla. I think it could be artificial vanilla. I'm getting Robitussin vibes, and that's unfortunate because I love, mm. I like artificial vanilla. Well, they also tried to make it more like custard instead of just vanilla. And I have no idea what custard tastes like. Uh, have you ever had a Boston cream donut? 
I don't like those typically. The stuff in the middle is custard. Oh. That kind of like, it's it's like a jelly pudding. It's like yeah. banana pudding without the bananas. Yeah. Okay. It's like vanilla pudding, but not so vanilla-y. I don't know if I've had vanilla pudding. And thicker. I ate a lot of the snack pats growing up. I wasn't really a pudding kid. I, I didn't. I was. I really liked fruit as a kid, so hmm. I didn't get a lot of fruit snack, or I didn't get a lot of like snack packs. Usually all I wanted was like grapes and bananas. I really liked fruit. I did not like fruit Loved that much. Fruit. Like I could tolerate strawberries and bananas. That was about it. My mom called me her fruit bat because I'd go around the house Aww. begging for fruit. I'd go, is there no fruit in this house? And I'm like <laughs> seven, eight. Mm -hmm. I just really want <laughs> fruit. <laughs> Forget candy. Only fruit. <laughs> no candy. Only natural sugar fruit. I have my dad and my grandma's sweet tooth, but it's specifically for fruit. <laughs> I I just lose my mind for chocolate. That's all I got. I do now. Chocolate is But life. if you put chocolate on the fruit. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so 12th Doctor. Played by Peter Capaldi. He Peter Capaldi, in my opinion, was a breath of fresh air after Matt Smith and David Tennant. Not because Matt Smith and David Tennant were bad, but because they were both young, they were both conventionally attractive. David Tennant's character played into the romance, and Matt Smith's character got into like mentions of romance. Like he talks to Clara, he's like, I'm not your boyfriend, Clara. Um all that. So Peter Capaldi is an older Scottish man. <laughs> Or, as I described him, he is a cranky gray Scottish man. Yes, um, very gray. And prior to his role, and actually they make fun of it a little bit in the transition, Clara's talking to Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi's in the background through a phone call thing. So he says, Peter Capaldi says, who is that? Is that the doctor? And then Matt Smith says, who is that? Is that the doctor? And then he said... He sounds gray. Am I gray? I don't want to be gray. <laughs> so, um, Somewhere early in transition, he goes, oh, I'm old. <laughs> Why am I old? <laughs> yeah. Prior to his role as the doctor, Peter Capaldi was known for his role in a show called The Thick of It. And I haven't watched it, but from what I gather, he is essentially a House MD type of character that curses a lot more than House MD does. <laughs> but he also isn't a doctor, so not yet. <laughs> but he's just very cranky, very cursy. So people are like, this is going to be the doctor on a family-friendly show, this guy. So um, he had to follow Matt Smith, which was equally rough for him as it was for Matt Smith to follow David Tennant. And I think he did an excellent job. Mm-hmm. He uh, actually kind of similar to the ninth doctor is very direct and a little short, but it makes him charismatic and entertaining as a character to watch. And instead of having a ton of catchphrases, he mostly does either grand dramatic speeches true to Moffat, or he has that just directness to the point that his companion feels the need to give him index cards to teach him how to be kind to people. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> like, that! She just pulls them out and they talk about, um, at one point, there's an episode where another character is like, oh, are you his assistant? And she says, no, I'm his carer. And she says, not that I care for him, but he does not care, so I care on his behalf. <laughs> like, she is there to care about the people because he just could not be bothered at this point. I forgot about how perfect their relationship is. Yeah. 
because she's just so like emotional and if there's i love the on-running joke between every time that she like tears up or gets super emotional he's like how do you do that with your eyes it's like they're inflating (laughs) and there are a couple scenes especially later in capaldi's time with clara that he gets to play guitar and peter capaldi actually plays guitar which we were just talking about prior to resuming recording um so one of the season openings i think it is they are looking for the doctor he has he had a prophecy or some kind of foreboding that he was about to die so he was just like forget it i'm just gonna go do what i want to do so he what goes to medieval era essentially and it's this kind of coliseum setup and we're following clara and missy and they're like we need to find the doctor and clara's like well you've known him longer how do we find the doctor and missy goes anachronisms things that don't really belong here but they're here because he's here and then an electric guitar starts playing from behind these (laughs) doors and they're like oh yeah like that (laughs) <laughs> and he's playing it so well. We have uh, the YouTube link to that specific scene is in our links on the episode. So you should go watch it or you can look it up. Uh, Dr. Guitar Entrance. Um, so he comes in playing this guitar and it's just really good. And he's riding in on a tank and wearing sunglasses, which you later find out are this doctor's version of the sonic screwdriver because he doesn't <laughs> want a screwdriver. So he has sunglasses. Um and the guy, the medieval guy's like Viking dress and he's holding this big axe and he's staring at him and the doctor comes out and he finishes playing and the guy's like, what is that? And the doctor goes, oh, I thought you wanted an axe fight and then holds his arms up like he's waiting for everybody to laugh and nobody knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he's like, that'll be funny to you later. <laughs> so now at this point, Mike and I pause it because he sees that I'm not laughing and he had to explain mm-hmm. to me what axe means to a guitar (laughs) i never got the joke until he had to explain it and i think that's a little funnier than the joke i mean whatever works i was the roman guy ancient guy that went (laughs) you know with the no reaction yeah yeah um Some of my favorite episodes, I don't remember 12's episodes as much because I haven't really watched them through all the way since they came out. Mm Because I think you guys had moved at that point, so we didn't get to watch those together as much. Um, This Doctor, though, is probably the darkest of the new Who Doctors, at least like consistently kind of dark and moody. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of my favorite episodes were Into the Dalek. Where we just literally get shrunk down and get to go in a Dalek. That was a good one. Um, the Robot of Sherwood, which is the Robin Hood episode, which I just love. Because he fights Robin Hood with a spoon. Oh, um, God. But they also talk about uh, Clara like loves Robin Hood and she's so excited to meet him. And the doctor's like, Robin Hood isn't real. And then he's just there and he's like super confused. And he's like, okay, whatever. And they're talking about heroes. And then at the very end, as Clara gets in the TARDIS, Robin Hood and the Doctor are talking. And Robin Hood says, you know, you are her hero. And it's just like this little, it's just a good moment. Um, There's also Time Heist, which was an extremely stressful episode. I don't know if you remember that one. I I do. I remember being stressed. I think I've blocked it out of my memory. (laughs) It was... um, Clara and the doctor have their memory wiped and they wake up with this group like I think it's four or five of them total 
and they have to break into like the most secure bank in the universe to steal something and it's secure because it has a monster that if it senses any guilt it will melt your brain and they're just trying to avoid that and there's this whole like agatha style agatha christie style mystery going which is different from the agatha christie episode from david tennant um but it's very good there's all oh speaking of which there's also an episode called mummy on the orient express that was very good that one is very good Mm -hmm. and i think because i really like the emotional stuff one of my favorites was last christmas which is the one uh with santa claus in it with the face huggers that put you in a dream state (gasps) and they couldn't get out of the dreams that was a bad one like not it was a bad scary one it was intense yeah it was um specifically the sequence with clara her basically what the face huggers do is they put you in a dream state that will keep you quiet while they digest your brain and your skull Mm -hmm. and her dream was spending christmas with a loved one who had very recently died and the doctor chases her in there and enters the dream with her and tries to get her out and she's like I I know it's not real. I have known it's not real. I don't want to leave anyway. And they talk about um, that it was like their last Christmas together. And there's just a line about every Christmas is last Christmas until the next one. So you never know which one's going to be like the last Christmas kind of thing. Right. So it's just a very good Christmas episode. Uh. And Nick Frost plays Santa Claus. So, (laughs) you know, you can't pass that up. Right. Um, there's also Deep Water, which is one of your favorite episodes, I think, from him. Yes. It was scary, but very, very good. It kept you guessing the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually scary. It was like it wanted to be scary, but it never was quite, ah, kind of scary. It was just tense the entire time. It was consistent. Yeah. it's It wasn't jump scare scary. It was the scary of the unknown hmm It was just, it was a lot, and it was so, mm-hmm. so good. It was a two-parter, or a three-parter. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a long episode. Yeah. I think, I think it starts with Deep Water. It's somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, another one of my favorites was Kill the Moon, which is the one where the moon is, they find out the moon is an egg, and it's getting ready to hatch. Oh, and yeah. And they have to decide whether <laughs> they're going to kill it to leave it as a moon to save the planet, or if they're going to let it hatch and just hope it doesn't eat the planet, Earth. And uh, the doctor just leaves. I forgot about that. And leaves it up to the humans. And it's incredibly stressful. And then Clara yells at him at the end and then just leaves him. Tells him almost word for word to F off. Yeah. I forgot about that one. And then another good one that I need to rewatch because I don't remember the details. But it's the one that Maisie Williams was in is the girl who died and the woman who lived. Mm-hmm. So good. I'm not going to say anything other than just so good. And... uh of course, the big ones for Capaldi are Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hellbent, which has one of your favorite speeches and also uh, one of my favorite companion goodbyes. Yes. Oh, I simultaneously love and hate that episode. I sobbed for this one. Mm-hmm. Big tears. Oh, I'm tearing up right now. Ugh. <laughs> oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it worse. No. Hold on. <laughs> I do this to myself. Yeah. <laughs> literally before we unpaused, I said, Allie, this is literally his best speech. You have to add it. And here I am not ready for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with, um, I'm just going to spoil the way the episode goes because there's a couple things I want to do. The gist of it is Clara, who has been the companion since the very end of Matt Smith, is now 
she has gotten herself into a situation because she got in the mindset that the doctor can fix anything and that she can fix anything. So she took this killer curse off of somebody else and put it on herself. And in doing so has guaranteed her death. Right. And they're like, there's nothing we can do about it. What was originally going to happen is that he was going to have it removed by the person who put it on him, but now she can't take it away mm-hmm. because of the rules. Yeah, because basically it's like a contract that moved from the person that can take it off straight to Clara, and Clara can't take it off. Mm-hmm. Because it's a new contract, basically. Um, so she's talking to the doctor, and she- I can't find the word for word, but she basically tells him, do not let this make you a monster. I've seen what you're capable of. Be a doctor. And he said, what's the point in being a doctor if I can't heal you? And she says, heal yourself. And there, I remember there's another part where she says, um, this was my mistake. It will not hurt anyone else. I will go out there and I will die and it will end and you will not hurt anyone else. And he said, or there will be no more pain and suffering. And he says, but what about me? I will suffer. And she says, if there was something I could do about that, I would. And then she just says, he says, I'll come with you. And she says, nope. I want to do this by myself. Everybody does this part by themselves anyway. Let me be brave. Oh, it's just so good. So that's the first episode <laughs> in that trio. And then we get into um, the doctor's immediately sent over to basically a time prison where he's just locked in on repeat and dying over and over again. Mm-hmm. And he's solving this mystery, figuring out what's going on, going up to this diamond wall and just punching his way through it over and over and over again for billions of years. And while he's doing this, he has a speech and he says uh, basically that it was a folklore story. And he says, every hundred years, a little bird comes and sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. And when the entire mountain is chiseled away, the first second of eternity will have passed. You must think that's a hell of a long time. Personally, I think that's a hell of a bird. And then he breaks through a diamond wall with his bare fist. And it's such a great moment. I swore that speech was like three minutes long. It is because he keeps dying in between words. I think the actual pace of it is every hundred years. A little bird comes. And sharpens its beak, like just broken up like that. So it feels longer because you're watching him do this montage of climbing over and over again. And in between, um, as part of his exploration of like this castle he's stuck in, he's noting based on how he's moved things around and basically dust and sand, how long he's been there. So it's him going every hundred years. And then it's like 3000 years have passed. A little bird comes. 50,000 years have passed and sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. A billion years have passed. Like it just keeps going up and it's a very intense moment. One of the times before you figure out that he's dying and restarting over and over again, not as regeneration, but because it's a time prison, Mm -hmm. um, he looks at the stars and he doesn't recognize them. And that's our first clue that something is not right time-wise. Because you don't know it's a time mm-hmm. prison at first. Right. And he's looking at the stars and he's like, I've only been here a week. These are not the right stars. It's just, oh, it's such a good episode. Mm-hmm. Because at the very end, he eventually comes back and says, and I've made it the long way around, which he said at the very beginning of one of his episodes. Yes. <sighs> that, the long way around, um came from the 50th year anniversary 
where uh, it, it addresses the time war. Mm-hmm. And it's Matt Smith gives the original speech and he says, Clara often asks me if I dream. And I say, of course I dream. Everybody dreams. And he talks about how his dream is to go home because as far as he know, knows, Gallifrey has been destroyed and he won't ever see his home again. And he's but, you know, in the time where they get to go back and it's a whole thing. And so the end of it is celebrating all of the doctors and it's him walking on like almost this cloud plane just for like the imagery and he walks by these recreations of every doctor that's come before him since the first one and he says maybe one day i'll find my way home the long way round and there's just all of them there and it's so good so then peter capaldi is referencing it again which major spoiler makes sense because the time prison is on gallifrey it's made by the time lords and he is home again so and he made it the he long way around. the long way round through a lot yep. of diamond. <laughs> a lot of diamond. He didn't have a pickaxe or nothing. Nothing. Just his bare fist. Mm-hmm. Such a good doctor. So, um, another one of my favorite Doctor Who speeches, just like to live by, is his final speech as he's regenerating. Oh, I didn't even... We'll go back to Matt Smith in a second because I forgot to mention that one, but that one's also good to live by. But 12th Doctor... Um, He's in this TARDIS and (laughs) he's talking about, you know, like he knows the next doctor is coming and he's just trying to hold on because he has something he wants to say before the next doctor gets there. And he says, uh, and he was kind of putting off regenerating. And he said, yes, I know one more lifetime won't kill anyone. Well, except me. Uh, Mike actually has a quick interruption to correct us on a fun fact about his favorite doctor. Yes, he is. Uh, He actually doesn't punch through Diamond. Uh, it is Asbantium uh, that he punches through. It's like the strongest known mineral in the Doctor universe, I guess. I don't know. It seems more tough than diamond, and he did it anyway. I have a point to raise, though. Every hundred years, a little bird comes and sharpens its beak on the Diamond Mountain. So I just got confused because that's what the story is. Yes, that is the story that he tells, but the Doctor himself punches through Asbantium. Yeah, I assumed it was... Uh, but that's diamond. why I said diamond is my point. Yeah, that's why we thought it was diamond. Yeah, it's the story that he reminds himself in that time loop. That's He keeps writing bird to remind himself. Oh, I forgot about, about that. Uh, he writes bird in the sand slash dust that is former <laughs> versions of him. Uh, uh, and just to remind himself later, he's like, why is the word bird written here? And he gets to the Asbantium he's like, ah, I'm screwed. <laughs> And he keeps going and going. Thank yeah, you. That's it. I'm sorry. Love, love <laughs> <y'all>. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> All right. Um, I apologize. Anyway, you're good. Um, so the 12th Doctor's final speech, he is trying to basically have a conversation with the future Doctor because he didn't even want to regenerate. He was just so tired. Uh, and it's it's a good episode, too. But. Mm-hmm. He says, um, well, I suppose one more lifetime won't kill anyone. Well, except me. And then the TARDIS kind of makes a noise and there's like a stirring, like the regeneration's coming. And he says, you wait a moment, doctor. Let's get it right. I've got a few things to say to you. Basic stuff first. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. And never, ever eat pears. <laughs> Which I didn't even explain the pears joke. Um, I mentioned it. Yeah. Well, do you know where the pears joke comes from? No. 
in a David Tennant episode in Family of Blood, Human Nature, uh, the doctor has basically hidden his consciousness in a pocket watch so that these things that are chasing him based on his Time Lord scent can't find him temporarily. And mm-hmm. he made a video for Martha to explain, like, to remind her, you need to do this. You need to take care of me. You can't open the watch, blah. And when she's watching it in the TARDIS, she fast forwards. And there's a clip on YouTube where David Tennant had to just keep talking so that they had something to fast forward to. And so he talks about never, ever eat pears. I hate pears. Or don't let me eat pears. I hate pears. And like goes on a whole rant about pears. So that's just an on running joke now. That it never actually was in the show until Matt Smith mentioned it again. So. <laughs> That's but amazing. I'll find that YouTube clip. Um, but anyway, so in his, in 12 speech, when he's regenerating, he says, I never eat pears. And he says, remember, hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Always try to be nice and never fail to be kind. Oh, and you mustn't tell anyone your name. No one would understand it anyway. Except, except children. Children can hear it. Sometimes if their hearts are in the right place and the stars are too, children can hear your name. But nobody else, but nobody else ever. Laugh hard, run fast, be kind. And then he says, Doctor, I let you go. And regenerates. And it's so, so good. (laughs) It's just like, perfect ending he was one of those doctors that i did that i had to get used to because he was so different from tenet and smith and i ended up loving him so much same he was a good doctor he needed to be different and it was perfect yeah no that's a different show (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway do you want to try his tea yes this time i removed my steeper so that it wouldn't oversteep. I did not. This is such an interesting smell. Yeah, I've never had this kind of tea and we will have to do a separate episode on it. Um I think we've mm-hmm. mentioned it before. His tea's called Be Kind. It's the complexity of Pu-R, which is P U E H R tea mixed with coffee, sweet almonds, jasmine petals, and highlighted with butterscotch notes. The tea is dark and acerbic, yet enjoyable, just like him. Drink it black or temperate with some cream, sugar, and kindness. <laughs> so, you want a dink? I'm ready to dink. Dink. Whoa. Ooh. That butterscotch comes through at the end. Ooh, I feel like I licked an old person. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely makes me think of Capaldi. It has ashtray vibes. I think this might this might be the most fitting of the teas. Yeah. Cause they um Clara and Peter Capaldi also talk the most about going to coffee shops. So Yeah, that's true. Coffee was big on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel dry. <laughs> yeah. I I like the combination of flavor. It's got a very smoky flavor. The flavors work well together. I just don't know if I like them. I don't know. That butterscotch, though, just kind of ties it. I kind of like it. Maybe. It's growing on me. (laughs) And I oversteeped it, too, so. I feel like it's oversteeped, but I had very little water left, and I didn't refill my pot, so. Same. I've only been putting, like, maybe two ounces of water in each piece. That's about how much is in this one. Okay, so. Mm -hmm. 
Is it time to rank our teas? Yes. So, obviously we picked our favorite doctor. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of our our favorite doctors matched our favorite teas. Um, but what is your number one tea? Well, trying to think of which ones I hated the least. Maybe number one. Yeah. I liked number one the most, but I think 12 matched the most. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just going on personal preference right now. Okay. 12 definitely matched the character the most. I think one was my favorite. I couldn't drink a lot of it, but I liked the initial flavor. It just had weird tummy vibes. Mm -hmm. I think I think the ninth doctor is also my favorite tea of these. It's at least the one I'm most likely to drink again. Anyway, what's your second favorite? Mm, Not this one. <laughs> the vanilla one. Yeah? Yeah. Um, My least favorite is going to be uh, David Tennant's. I despise yeah. the banana. This I could try to take a couple sips of. I could not take any more sips of the banana. I wanted to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think I definitely liked ninth the most. I think I think twelve might be my second, because the the vanilla flavor kind of threw me off from the Matt Smith one, mm-hmm. and then David Tennant's was just the worst, which is a shame because he is my favorite doctor. That is a shame, but that's okay. It's hard to get them right. Yeah, I think if I didn't oversteep Matt Smith, it would have been better. Maybe it was just too much artificial vanilla, which is unusual for me. But anyway, that's uh, that's all I have for Doctor Who. I think two and a half hours of talking about Doctor Who is enough content. I, we kind of jumped because you already mentioned this on the end of the last episode, and then we decided to insert Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's it's fall, y'all. <laughs> it's fall, y'all. Mm-hmm. Would it be okay if we jump out of my mm-hmm. comfort zone? Oh, and we talk about a food that is very fall. Sure. I would like for us to jump into apple pie. Yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. I will happily jump into an apple pie. It's whether you want to jump into an apple pie. I'm going to make it for those around me and I'll have a bite. Okay. <laughs> okay. I did also learn if you overdo your apples for apple pie, you just make applesauce. So. Well, I don't like applesauce either. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you can make an applesauce pie. I'm going to potentially try to underbake my apples. Okay. So that they have some bite. That could work. I'm excited. We're going to do it then. Yeah, we're going to do a fall y'all episode and we're going to do the most American thing, apple pie. Yeah. And who knows, maybe it's not American at all. We'll see. I have no idea. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I think it's a British thing. I'm calling it now. Uh, I'm going to go Mediterranean. Ooh, that's a wild guess and I like it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, thank you everybody so much for listening to us talk about Doctor Who under the guise of drinking tea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of our sources, although there are not as many because a lot of this just came from my brain from watching the show. Uh, are going to be in the notes, including those two videos we talked about, and and a link to the teas because we don't really have a recipe. But I I have a link to each of the individual teas and the tea and absinthe website if you would like to browse or find the specific tea. Yeah, check them out. Mm-hmm. They got all kinds of interesting stuff. Yeah, Doctor Who might not be your thing, but maybe Harry Potter is or Avatar, like the Last Airbender or the Blue People. 
The Last Airbender. Oh, like Earthbender, gotta... Airbender. Yeah. That's awesome. I should check those out. Mm-hmm. You can also find the podcast at webrewgood.podbean.com or just at webrewgood.com because we're cool like that. It'll bring you yeah. straight back to Podbean. Uh, or you can listen to us on all of your favorite streaming platforms for your podcast. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Pad- Podcast, Google <laughs> Podcast. Matt's Math. Matt's Math. That's Google Podcast if you uh, are literate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh- you can also find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at WeBrewGood, or you can send us an email at WeBrewGood at gmail.com. I think Matt Smith's doctor is most likely to be a guinea pig. Oh, with the hair? Of course. Are you kidding? Yeah. That man is the human version of a guinea pig. Could you imagine a Peter Capaldi guinea pig, though? Ooh. Um, Angry and gray. <laughs> angry gray bites fingers mm-hmm. he'd be an he'd be a green an, an angry guinea pig he has more feral cat brought inside vibes <laughs> he does. He does. guinea pig <laughs> you know uh, okay what would each of them be as a pet oh okay um i think nine would be some kind of reptile oh okay i was thinking golden retriever vibes I don't think he's peppy enough. I think David Tennant's more golden retriever because he's mm-hmm. like he'll keep smiling through most situations and just make light of it and just go running off. And he runs so much. Oh, you're <laughs> he right. just go. Right, he's a dog. Okay, he's a he's got golden. Yeah, retriever. maybe Lab. I see Black Lab. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Nine would be some kind of like not a Komodo dragon, like a bearded dragon, like some kind of larger. Like a yeah, just some kind of larger reptile that, like, you keep it in its in its little enclosure and you keep it warm most of the time. But it also just wanders around your house and like judges you a little bit, but is mostly nice anyway. You know? How about leopard gecko? I have to Google what that is. Oh, I was thinking more like a a tegu. A what? T e g u. You should Google it. They're just they're just big lizards that should really be in like South America. And they have like fat little faces. Oh my gosh. They kind of look like a cross <laughs> between a gecko and an alligator. Like they're, if a gecko is on one end of the scale and an alligator is on the other, these guys are in the middle. Hmm. And they're about the size of like a house cat, maybe a little bigger. Why does Eccleston feel so meh right now? I don't know. I can't get a good read on him. I'm going to trust your gut. Okay. I've never seen that lizard, by the way, before. I saw uh, the red one on tiktok once because it was somebody that had a pet and it had like its own little thing and it all just wandered around and it was bath time and it's just cute i went through the whole account for like 20 minutes because <laughs> you know why not and and it had its own personality like it got excited when they came over to see it or like there was a couple times when it was peeling and it was cranky and it was like no don't touch me leave me alone it just like wandered off and did its own thing and you know you know <laughs> you know um I need to go to bed, but no matter what episodes of Doctor Who you choose to watch, or which Doctor is your favorite, or which Doctor Who tea is your favorite, unless you skip nine. This applies to everyone (laughs) except for those who decide to skip nine. Stay Stay brutal. (laughs) I think that ranks in the top ten Doctor Who speeches. (laughs) 
Thank you. If you skip nine, I want you to get out and stay out. I will throw you out you the door like a frisbee. This episode. Yeah, you can. You Just can kidding. skip being my friend. Wow. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Dang.